Good afternoon. I was very impressed when I walked in today and the band was practicing social distancing. <laughs> I thought that was so bizarre, but so awesome at the same time. Um, where is my sermon? Did I even bring it today? Is this the, is this the right folder? All right, here we go. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, I'm very thankful. I know it's a, it's a very trying time. It's a very, you know, different time that we're going through. And quite honestly, I've been talking to a lot of pastors in Australia as well as even in America. And what you need to understand is no pastor has ever led their congregation through a worldwide pandemic. Okay? No one has. So if you have questions about your church and the future, I'm sure your pastor will and the pastors will as well. You know, they, they may not have answers. So it's a very difficult time because we all want answers. We want something clear. But sometimes even the pastors and the government is not clear because they're, they're working through things as well. So let's, be, let's pray for them. Let's be gracious. And it's a very uh, challenging time too. Even going online, a lot of churches are struggling to find, how do you go online? How do you stream services? It's very challenging in many, many ways. And uh, it's a time for us to be gracious and to pray for a lot of other churches and a lot of other congregations as well. But it's my privilege once again to be here and to uh, preach God's word with you. I found out just today, I'll be preaching next week as well. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll see how long this thing goes. And, you know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible. So, you know, I can, I can get through them if I do it one at a time. You know, we'll probably get through the whole thing in about like 700 years. So, uh, today, today's message that I want to share with you is the next verse in the Beatitudes. Let's read it together. Uh, it comes from Matthew 5, chapter 5. And before I read it and before I start... Today's sermon is going to be a little bit more technical. It's a little bit more complex. You kind of have to track with me to kind of get it because things like concepts build upon each other. But, you know, I know you're a very intelligent group, and I'm, I'm trying to make it as simple as I can. Uh, but let's get through this. Okay, Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the things that you're doing in this world and in this country. Father, we know that in darkness, light shines brighter. And so, Father, we know that there are many opportunities for Christ that are popping up everywhere around us. Lord, we pray for believers and churches and pastors and governments and leaders around this country and in the world that they would, instead of being so self-focused, that we would be able to be outwardly focused and see the opportunities that you're giving to us so that Christ could be known and worshipped. Lord, we pray that will happen here today as we worship together um, physically in this, in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, for the past two weeks, we've covered the first two verses of the Beatitudes, and we've been kind of dis discovering what it means to be a disciple of Christ out of Christ's own mouth. And the first week, we, we went over, you know, the first Beatitude that basically said that we, ne we need to learn how to be poor in spirit... Uh, which is a prerequisite to being saved, right? We are so spiritually bankrupt that we need to know that we need Jesus. And the reason why we're so spiritually bankrupt is because of our sinfulness. And last Sunday, we learned that if, you know, for those who are mournful over their sinfulness, um, we learned that if you're not mournful over your sinfulness, you'll never open yourself up to the eternal comfort that comes in Jesus Christ. You probably won't even care, okay? So today's verse takes it one step further. Jesus takes us one step further, and he begins to describe the natural outflowing 
of having that poverty of spirit or, or, and, and truly being mournful over your own sinfulness. And the natural overflow of that is something he calls meekness. Okay, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All right, so um, I thought I'd start out with a, a, a quote from a very famous atheist uh, philosopher. And he said this, he said this, and just listen to what he says. He says, assert yourself, care nothing except for yourself. The only vice in this world is weakness, and the only virtue is strength. Be strong. Be a superman if you can, because the world is yours if you can get it. You guys ever, did you ever hear this? Is a very famous quote. Anyone hear this quote before? Uh, well, regardless, do you think that philosophy rings true in our world today? You know, do you think so? I do. I think, I think if we look at the world, it looks like that. Do you, know, do you guys know who said these words? Friedrich Nietzsche. You guys know who Friedrich Nietzsche is? You guys can go home and Google it. <laughs> you know, he was very famous because he was a very famous atheist philosopher, and his most famous words were, God is dead. God does not exist. And so these words make total sense if there's, if there's no God, right? Because in the absence of God, it makes perfect sense that every person is left to fight for themselves. Every person has to get what they can, right? It makes perfect sense. And only those who prove themselves to be the most super of people will actually dominate the world, right? That's what he's, he's saying. But do you know what's wrong biblically with Nietzsche's statement? Everything. Everything is wrong with it. Because according to Christ's words today, it's not the strongest or the fittest that actually dominate and own the world. It's those who are meek. Those who are meek will not only own the world one day, but they're going to rule over it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. So on first reading of this verse, when you read that, you kind of would think that Jesus is a little bit out of his mind. Or he's not in tune with how the world really works. You know? Uh, I mean, if you were to look at all the people who are in the most powerful places in the world today, I mean, those positions belong to who? It, they belong to the go-getters, you know? They belong to the cutthroat guys. They belong to the ambitious, the aggressive, right? Those are the people that occupy probably the most powerful positions in the world today. So you would think that when Jesus says this first, he's a little bit out of his mind or, is a little, you know, he kind of has no idea, you know, what, how the world really works. But the thing, is that he, the thing is he does. He really truly does. And he says, because, and, and the reason why he does is because those who choose to live in meekness they find in Christ a totally different way of living and a completely new perspective on how to actually approach life itself. An approach that he claims gives us the world. Okay, so are we ready to go through this word for word like we've been doing for the past few weeks? Let's attack this together. Our first step is to understand this rarely used word meek. Okay, how many of you in the past week used this word meek? Okay, nobody. Nobody does, right? Nobody. I think even 100 years ago, people wouldn't use this word. You know, uh, it's, it's a very rare word. Okay, but here's a question. If someone were to say to you this week, or let's say I were to come after you after service now and say, hey, you're like the meekest person I know. <laughs> like, would you feel complimented or would you feel insulted? See, we don't know. It's because we don't know what that word means, right? But it's a, it's a very complex word. I'm just going to share it with you. It's a very complex word, so... Uh, we need to kind of take that apart. But I, I kind of don't like that word when I first hear it because it kind of sounds like weak. 
right? Kind of, like, kind of sounds like someone who's shy, someone who's timid, someone who's, who's afraid to kind of go out there and get what they need to go get. You know, I know I ran out of toilet paper, but, ah, oh, you know, you know, I, you know, it sounds like it's that kind of guy, someone who won't go to Woolies to get some toilet paper and fight some old lady. Anyway, but to be honest, meekness is a very difficult concept to define. So what I thought I'd do is I'd gi- I thought I'd give you some old world uh, understandings of the word, the way they use the word meek, okay? And I'll, I'll give you four examples, and hopefully this gives you a better picture. In the Greek culture about 2,000 years ago, Aristotle explained that a meek person was someone who was so controlled that he wasn't too timid, nor was he given over to fits of rage, but he was right in between. That doesn't really clarify it for us, right? Greek physicians around the same time as Aristotle used the word meek very frequently to describe the exact amount of prescribed medicine. You give someone too little, then it doesn't really have a good effect to cure somebody. But if you give someone too much medicine, it actually might hurt the person more than even help. To be meek is the exact amount that will help and heal this person. Does that help? Not really, okay. You know, and back in the era, here's another word, the word meek was used. It was actually used to describe a gentle breeze that came in from the ocean that soothes you. You know, everyone knows the wind has the power to destroy and to actually damage a lot of things. But when it blows very, very gently, it brings like this soothing comfort. You guys know what I'm talking about? Does that help? Maybe. Last one. The most common use of meekness describes a wild horse or a stallion that has actually been broken and tamed to be kind of domesticated, right? Horses that are wild, they're very powerful, they're very intimidating, they actually can be destructive. But once tamed, that power is brought under control. That is a word, they use that word, to describe that they use the word meek very, very often. So the common thread in all these images is is that meekness is power like a medicine or a wind or a horse. It is power that is brought under so much control that it serves those who encounter it in a godly way. Okay, meekness is a power that is so controlled that it serves people who encounter it in a godly way. Okay, controlled power that points people to God, that brings others to God. But that's kind of, even then, it's kind of hard to imagine, right? What does that look like in real life? What does that look like in a human being's life? Um, well, the good, thing, good news is that there are a lot of events in Christ's life that illustrate this better because Christ was the epitome of meekness, okay? So and there are two ways that Christ showed this in his ministry. The first way is this. The first way that Christ showed meekness was that whenever he encountered people who were against him or who were very vindictive against him, he decided not to retaliate. He decided not to be vindictive back, but instead he chose to love those who were against him. That's how he used his power, right? When Christ was spat upon, when he was mocked during his trials, you notice that he never answered one question, even though he could have. He could have, like, blasted them with truth, but he decided not to. He just stayed quiet. He never retaliated. You know, he could have called a legion of angels to, like, kill all of them, but he decided not to. You know, this is him. When his closest friends betrayed him, uh, they fled. They left him to die. Did you ever notice in the Gospels that he never expressed one word of disappointment in them, even after he met with them after again? He never said, oh, I'm so disappointed that you did that to me. You left me to die. He never said any of those things. When Peter denied him three times, he could have barred him forever from friendship, but instead he offered what? Forgiveness, reconciliation. He offered a partnership. 
when Judas came and betrayed him. Did you notice? I don't know if you ever noticed this. You know what's one of the first words that Judas, or Jesus calls Judas right at that betrayal scene? He calls Judas friend. Do you notice that? And he wasn't being sarcastic. He literally called him his friend when he was being betrayed. So, and then lastly, of course, the big one is that when he was being crucified, instead of cursing the people that put him on the cross, he said what? Father, forgive them, for they, not, they know not what they're doing. So what we see here is that Christ's power was so under control that he actually could love those who are trying to hurt him. That's meekness displayed. Okay? What's another way? The second way that he showed weakness is when it came to, when it came to matters of faith or when it came to the welfare of others, his meekness was actually very fierce. He was actually very fierce in his meekness, right? Um, there was a time where he, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees got so angry at him. But what did Jesus do? He actually fiercely rebuked them for rebuking him on the, for healing on the Sabbath. And the reason why is because he was telling them the Sabbath was made for God. We're not here just to you know, observe some religious rules, which is what you guys are doing. You guys don't even think about God. And so he was fierce, right? He got angry at his disciples. There was a story where Jesus was you know, inviting all these little children to come and enjoy him, and he wanted to love these little children, but the disciples were, like, saying they shouldn't come. But Jesus got really angry at them because he, they, he wasn't allowing these children to be loved by Christ. He drove out the money changers. He drove out all those vendors from the temple when they were robbing people, not only financially, but they were robbing people of a relationship with God. Right? So he was fierce. He even called his close buddy, Peter, he called him, Satan, right, when he tried to stop Jesus from completing his mission. When was the last time your best friend called you Satan? You know, out of love, because they were trying to stop you from doing your mission. You know, a lot of people think that being meek means never getting angry, but that's just not true, right? Being meek is knowing when it is actually pleasing to God to use your emotions and to use your anger in a way that actually brings people to God, to use your anger in a way that makes people more holy as a result. That is meekness in action, okay? So, you know, it's, it's kind of, and usually those times are when people can't defend themselves or when justice is on the line or when we fierce, fearlessly need to defend the truth of the word, you know, or something like that. You know, those are the times where we need to display those times of weak, uh, meeknesses or meekness. And so we, see, so we see here that meekness is not a simple concept, you know, when it, look, what it, when it looks like in real life. But it, when, we see, when we look at the, the life of Christ, it means being strong even when you're wronged in any way so much that you can meet that offense or that offender with love instead of retaliation. And secondly, meekness is also knowing when to use our emotions and our anger properly for God's glory and toward the justice of others. Meekness is power that is so controlled that it serves those who encounter it in a godly way. You guys get that? Is that good? Okay. Okay, we can breathe now. But not really. Uh, but what, what you have to ultimately realize is that Christ, by sharing this verse, is not teaching us that we need to model certain external behaviors that, that show what meekness is in our lives. That's not what he's trying to do here. Uh, what he is saying in this verse is that meekness is actually the natural overflow of something that is much deeper, which, is, which gets revealed to us in the promise of this verse. So what is the promise of this verse? Hey, Christ says that the meek will inherit 
the earth. And so there are two ways that scripture says that we're going to inherit the earth. The first is actually, we're actually going to physically inherit the earth. When Christ comes back, he literally says that we're going to be co-heirs with him, co-regents with him, co-rulers with him. We'll actually get the earth back to take care of and to rule with him. That's number one. But the second way that we're going to inherit the earth, it only becomes possible when we understand the key to becoming meek. And this is it. This is you know, our whole blessedness, you know, blessed are the meek for the old, our whole blessedness is really contingent upon us understanding this key to becoming meek right here. And you know what the key to becoming meek is? Learning how to trust in God completely. When you trust in God with your life completely, with everything that's going on in your life, you'll naturally become meek, okay? So here we go. If you've been tracking with everything that we've been talking about so far, the definition and all this stuff, then... I think, and if you can kind of put one and one together, I kind of think that there should be some natural questions that you should be thinking of right now. I don't know if you engage in sermons like that, but I always do. You know, uh, here are some questions that I came up with as I was preparing a sermon like this. You know, the question that I would ask is, well, how can I be strong? And how can I not retaliate when people are persecuting me or people are against me? How can I not be vengeful when people at work or people at school are literally, like, attacking me? You know, or how can I not feel that anger and vengefulness when they're attacking my spouse or when they're attacking my kids? That, that makes me even more angry, right? How do we not do that? How can my response be love in the midst of all this evil that's going on around me? How can meekness get me that job? How can meekness open doors to opportunities for me? How does being meek, which is what the world says is the exact opposite of what it takes for me to be competitive and to succeed, how does being meek make me a success in this world? Are the questions? Those are real questions, valid questions, right? And here's the answer to all of those questions. And the answer to all those questions is trusting God, right? There you go, right? That's the million dollar answer. But it really is. And a lot of times Christians don't take it very, very seriously. Someone who truly trusts in God cannot help but to display meekness in their life. And here is how. Okay? So if you've been tracking with me, great. You need to track with me a little bit more. But here's how meekness you know, comes out of someone who trusts in God. Here we go. If you are truly poor in spirit and you realize how much you need Christ, and if you are truly mournful over the magnitude of your sinfulness to the point where you are actually overwhelmed by God's grace and God's love for you, then you've already experienced his goodness in your life. You've already experienced his sovereignty over your life. You've already experienced him so personally choosing you, saving you, rescuing you from your sinfulness and taking you out and being loved by Christ. You've already experienced that. That's what this verse is saying, right? And that salvation not only transforms our eternal destiny, but it was always meant to transform your earthly reality. Christ is now saying that the overflow of that reality and that experience is now that, is now that you know personally that you can trust God, that he is good, that he loves you, that he had your name in mind when he created the world and he said, Christ, 
And if you know that this God who is sovereign over the universe and over your life loves you, wants to take care of you, knows every hair on your head, you know, and he cares more for you than the birds of the air or the lilies of the field, then you can implicitly trust him with everything and every little detail over your life because you know that's who he is, because you know that's how committed he is to you. Do you guys get that? Meekness is the fruit of that trust. Meekness is the fruit of that experience, that knowledge. And that's what Christ wants from us. And if you understand that, you, then you understand just by meeting him that he's going to be your greatest vindicator. He's your, he's your greatest proponent. You know, he's, he's your ultimate defender. And if you know that he treasures you and your situation more than anything else, and that he wants to work for your ultimate good, then you know what that does in our lives? If you're convinced of those things about who he is, that it frees us from never having to think about ourselves. If he's literally going to take care of us and take care of every situation within our lives, then it literally fear, frees us from being fearful about our situation. It frees us from having to fight for everything within our lives. And we can literally place our life, we can literally place every situation that goes on within our hands and give it to God and say, God, here you go. Now, here is our situation. Here is my family. Here are my children. Here is my job situation. Here is my career. Here is my persecution. And here is everything that I'm going through because I know that you can handle it much better than I can. And you probably love me more than I love myself. And you probably care more about my future than I ever could care about my own. So the smart decision is to trust in you. So here you go. When you do that, Things may not turn out the way you imagined, nor will they turn out maybe in the way that you want, right? But you can always trust that God will work things out for your best and ultimately for his glory. And hopefully, if the first two Beatitudes are clicking for you, God's glory will mean more to you than maybe a great career or all these great things that we want in this world. And here's the, here's the, and here's the whole thing. When we don't have to worry about all those things, and we can fully trust God for them, then it frees us from this tyranny of the survival of the fittest mentality that the rest of the world operates in. You don't understand what I'm talking about? And we enter into his world of true peace. We enter into his world of true security. We enter into his world of true authority and power. And if we truly know that he is the Lord of the universe and that this earth is simply just one of his little things that is a part of his kingdom, and if we're a part of that world, his world, then that world becomes ours because we're a part of that family. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. On a very practical level then, the moment that we start practicing that type of trust or faith in Christ and we become meek, then when our faith in Christ becomes the driving force of life, becomes the driving force of our life, that's when, instead of wanting to get back at someone who's attacking you, you can actually start caring about that person's salvation. You know, instead of wanting to retaliate, you can start thinking, "Wow, I hope that guy gets saved." You know, that's what happens. Instead of wanting, instead of selling out to simply get ahead in your profession you can actually begin to totally twist and change the whole thing and start saying, you know, screw all that. I'm going to start using my profession so that people can get blessed, you know? Instead of desiring to be a success in this world, you'll start dreaming 
of being its servant instead like Christ did, you know? Why? Because all of a sudden it flips and you start dreaming and you start wanting what's eternal and meek people use their faith and leverage their power to impact the world eternally, which is what Christ did. And that is why when a person does that and gets that and it clicks and trusts and surrenders, when that person starts living that way, that is why God's joyful approval is over that guy. That person gets blessed because he understands exactly what his life was meant for. Do you see? God loves you more than anything else in the world. I know you heard that 10,000 times at church, but it's so true. He is your father. He's going to take care of you. He's going to vindicate you from all of your foes. He's your ultimate defender. He's in control of every situation in your life, and he has promised that he will only work for your good. These are all promises of Scripture. And he wants you to trust him over all things in your life so that you can actually be freed to not worry about yourself and to, and to not be a slave to all these values that the world teaches us we need to be a slave to. And we can actually be, be free to love others in a way that Christ did, to defend the weak, to combat injustice, and to actually uphold, tr uphold truth in this world, which is exactly what salt and light does, which is what God has always called and created us to be. Do you guys get that? And people who are like that, people who understand the freedom that God has given them to live like that right now, they are the ones that truly have everything in this life. They're the ones that don't worry. They're the ones that just trust. They're the ones that actually can be joyful in the midst of Difficult circumstances, you know, because they and the reason why is because they know who has their back. They know whose father truly is in control, and they know whose family they are a part of. They may own nothing, and there's a lot of poor Christians in this world financially, but they actually possess everything. And they possess everything because they know the secret to meekness, which is trusting in God. So if I can sum it up in a few key statements, here we go. So here is your application. Grow in your trust and you'll grow in meekness. Grow in your meekness and you'll grow in your freedom. Grow in your freedom and you'll possess the world. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Do you guys get this? Is it good? If you didn't track along, it's recorded, okay? <laughs> it's complex for me too. I'm not that smart. So the question then obviously today is, are you meek? And if you're not, then there are two ways you can, you can grow in your meekness. The first is ask God for it because it only comes through grace. Just ask God, God, make me more meek. Help me to trust in you more. Help me to understand even what this meekness thing is all about. And he will. The second way is to be yoked to Christ. And I'm using another word that you've rarely used, yoke. Okay, it sounds like, hey, is he, talking, is he talking about the yellow part in an egg? No, he's not. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 says this. It's a very famous verse. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here we go. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. And here, basically, if you don't understand the verse, what Christ is saying is, yoke yourself to me. That's what he's saying. Yoke yourself to me. Do you guys know what a yoke is? If you've ever seen anything about farming, eastern farming, western farming, yoke 
is like when you get like two oxes next to each other or two bulls or two horses, and sometimes you put this wooden bar across them that ties them together so they can't go off, but they're, they're together. That's called a yoke. It's that bar that binds them together so they can't be separated. And what Jesus is saying here is you need to yoke yourself to me, right? You need to lock your life onto mine. And as you toil with me through your life circumstances, I am going to model for you what it looks like to be meek. I'm going to show you how much you can trust in me. I'm going to show you how good I really am. I'm going to prove to you that I am who I say I am throughout Scripture and everything that your pastor ever taught you, I am those things. But that only happens if you choose to yoke yourself with me. And as you do, you'll, you'll see that I am worthy to be trusted. I'm worthy to be worshipped. And that you'll, in your heart will actually melt much, much, much more every single day that you choose to yoke yourself with me because then your whole life will be trusted in mine. So uh, do you guys understand that? That's what Jesus is inviting us into. When I was in uni, I, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, the weekend right before I went to uni. And uh, when I, in my first year, after about six months, or after about a year of, of being a Christian, uh, this one older guy at my church decided to take me under his wing. You know, he thought that I needed Jesus much more. So he decided to invite, he invited me over to his apartment. We'd hang out. And then he said, hey, do you want to intentionally hang out a lot more? You know, do you want to be discipled? And I said, yes, of course. So that means I can learn more about Jesus. But I had no idea what discipleship was all about. And so he's like, why don't you just come over every day whenever you can? So I would just, you know, maybe once or twice a week, I'd go over to his apartment. And then he was kind of, after a few weeks, he's like, no, I think you should come over like every day. I'm like, what? You know, I have friends, man. You know, I, I have my own life to live. You know, there's all these girls I want to go after. Uh, he's like, no, but if you want to learn how to grow in Christ, I think you should hang out with me. And so I was like, all right, fine. What are you talking about? You mean like twice a week? He goes, no, maybe five or six days a week. And I was like, What? Anyway, that's what I decided to do. You know, some, instead of being yoked, sometimes I felt like I was choked. Right? <laughs> but, I would, but I would live with him, and I would actually, you know, sleep over at his apartment all the time. We'd hang out together. And, you know, there are things that I learned through that experience that like, truly, truly transformed my life. You know, I remember we'd study or we'd do whatever we needed to do, and then every night we'd stay up, you know, fooling around and then studying and whatever. But before he went to sleep, I always saw him grab his Bible. Every morning we'd wake up so tired, but every morning I saw him grab his Bible. He would read and just pray. And then there were, there were a lot of times that he just grabbed me, to, you know, on the quad or whatever. He's like, we got to go. I said, where are we going? He's like, shut up and just come with me. The old Korean way, you know, and anyway. And then we would just go to church and he would pray. And I would sit there watching him pray for like an hour and a half, two hours. And I would, we would do this so often that, you know, I would just watch him the first few times. But then I, I would look at him and I would realize, wow, this is a man that truly believes in, in prayer, that truly surrenders things to God. And I would see him like so distraught before he'd go to prayer, but then he'd be so joyful when he would come out. I would see a man, you know, when he would pick up his Bible in the morning, he'd be so tired, but then he'd be so like jazzed up after he read scripture. You know, there'd be times where I knew that he was so screwed in his life. He was going through certain situations where he would just cry and Eddie, we, we gotta go, we gotta pray. And he would surrender everything to God and I would see him just struggle you know, with his life situation, but he would just surrender and surrender. And even though I, I knew he was screwed at times, and he's like, Eddie, there's nothing else we can do. we got to screw ourselves even more in Christ. You know, we got to surrender more. we got to push more all in. And I would see that. And then I would see God come through, and I would see God work in his life, and he would be like, see, see. You know, and those are things that you only get to see when you yoke yourself with somebody. 
When there is someone who's radical enough to actually take scripture seriously and live it out, and then he wants you to yoke yourself with him. And I was blown away, and that taught me so much about how to live this Christian life. But more than anything, what I learned was that when I looked at my walk with Christ seriously, I realized that I was never yoked to Christ. I was a follower of Jesus, but I followed him casually. I followed him whenever I wanted to, which was like about once a week or maybe for 10 minutes a day reading scripture, you know, or maybe at church service. But I was never yoked to Christ. I never really depended upon God for everything. I never really surrendered all my situations to him. I never really, like, lived according to scripture, like, really. And I never really prayed about everything. You know, this kind of stuff. Basic, basic stuff. And that's when I learned, and, and through that, that's when I learned that um, after yoking myself to Christ, it became so obvious to me that there's... We were never meant to live this Christian life alone. We were never, I was never meant to live this Christian life by myself. And it taught me for my future that I can never really be a great Christian by myself. I can never really be a great uh, father by myself. I can never be a great husband by myself. I can never be a great pastor by myself. I can never be a great anything, you know, by myself. We were always meant to be yoked to Christ. The only actual way to be, quote unquote, successful in this Christian life is to be fully dependent upon Christ, fully surrendered to Christ, to be fully, utterly, you know, putting all your chips in to say, God, everything is about you and everything is about your glory. So you got to help me live my life in a way that does that. You got to help me live my marriage and my career in a way that does that so that you can be glorified and you can be made greater. I can only live my life fully dependent upon him, continually and constantly in need of him, and continually giving myself to him. And as we do, Christ teaches us how to do our whole lives his way. Not only so that we can trust in him, but so that meekness can actually become a reality in your life. Uh, you live like that, there'll be times that you'll love it. You live like that, there'll be times that you hate it. You'll be, you live like that, there'll be times of utter blessing. You'll be, you live like that, there'll be uh, times of utter brokenness, you know. But the bottom line is that only when you choose to live like that and yoke yourself with Christ will you find yourself, in yourself, in Christ, ultimate rest, but more importantly, ultimate freedom to truly live for his glory. And, you'll, and that's only then is when you're going to start living this life of blessedness this life of blessedness, of meekness. There are Christians that go to church and they will walk through their whole lives never experiencing the blessedness of being yoked to Christ. They'll do everything by their own strength, convinced that I can live my life better than God can. And that's what they do. And, you know, they'll go on to live good lives, you know, or happy lives. Um, but they'll never end up discovering and operating in the true freedom that comes uh, in living for Christ. And as a result... They'll always exist in the tyranny of the survival of the fittest mentality. Okay? Point being, don't let that be you. That's it. Okay? Get yoked to Christ. Get yoked in discipleship with somebody because we need to grow in our trust with God. Meekness is the natural overflow of understanding that our lives are now completely in God's hands and that we don't have to spend our lives worrying about the things that the rest of the world does. And he did that so that he could free us, so that we could now use our lives, so that everyone who encounters us 
can encounter God through us. Meekness. You guys get that? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. So meekness is the natural overflow of a poor and mournful heart. Are you meek? If so, great. You know, ask God to continue to give you a heart to trust in him, to live for him. Ask God to use your life to impact this world eternally for his glory. If you're not meek, however, just ask God. God, help me to be meek. I, don't, I still don't even understand what that means, but clarify that for me. I want to be that because you said that person's blessed. I want to be blessed. I want you to smile over my life. I want you to just look at me and just, you know, not because I'm your kid, not just because you're your kid. I want you to be proud of how I'm living for you. Ask God to convince you that trusting in him is much better than living in your own wisdom or by your own wisdom or by your own strength. Ask God to help you actually yoke yourself to Jesus maybe for the first time in your life. And ask God to help you make your life make a difference in this world. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray.